0: Vegas Bad Boys Podcast presents Matt Michaels, people I don't hate. Hey
1: everybody, it's Matt Michaels here, joined by Sin City Steve and Simon Street of the Vegas Bad Boys, and today we have a special guest. He's a contributor, uh, of course, contributor is the word I'm trying to say. But uh, right now I have Pro Wrestling Bits in my mouth, uh, so if I can Ooh. get those out of my mouth, we'll <laughs> be okay. Uh, he's a contributor to Forbes, <laughs> uh, Wrestling Inc. twice a, a week, and Pro Wrestling Bits on YouTube, Mr.
0: Alfred Kunoa. Kunoa. Yeah, I did Kunoa. it. Kunoa. <laughs> Kunoa. Oh, yeah. Great it's, to be here. Hey, perfect wow. execution of my last name. We're off to a great start.
1: Oh man, um I'm glad you took the time um you know the the stuff you've been putting out on social media especially is um I think it's well thought out and I think that a lot of times right now we're seeing a lot of stuff going out that is either rehashed things that people pick up on from you know uh, something that Meltzer put out or, or one of the bigger you know uh, sites put out um, Or uh, clickbait, essentially, right? So you don't really get a a fresh perspective. Um, People seem to be afraid to put that out there and put that forward. And I don't know if it's because A, they don't know how to because they're not trained journalists, um, or B, they're afraid of, you know, pissing off the wrong people who, you know, probably helped them by giving them you know tidbits here and there. So the question for me right off the bat is when you think about how you approach things is it the honesty in what you feel that you like to present or is it kind of a taking that that perspective you have and then trying to put it in an entertaining manner to put it out there so that it stands apart from what other people are doing.
0: It's both. And that's a great way of saying it. That's a very eloquent way of saying that, Matt. It's it's actually both of those things. I'm a stand-up comedian. It's my passion. It's great that I'm on this Vegas uh, podcast. I just left Vegas today. I just got in about an hour ago. I was performing at EDC. Uh, mm. But uh oh, right good on. to be here uh, in the, back in L.A. And uh, that's kind of my approach to comedy is I'm just going to take things like any comedian. Things that I believe, things that I feel, things that I can, you know, that are very real and important to me. And I'm going to find the humor in those things because of how familiar I am with them. And that's, you know, why I do my bits. One of the reasons I try to do only one to two bits per week, sometimes it's more, but I want these to be well thought out. I write them all out. I go over them when I'm, even as I'm going over and narrating, I'll say that that, that can be challenged. It's not really a strong point. How can I redo that? And it, it's all 100% what I believe in, 100% honest. I just saw that George Carlin documentary and he had a quote in there that, it, that I loved where he said, uh, you know, everything I say is what I believe, and I go for it. And that's how I feel about what I do with Pros and Bits. This is exactly what I believe. I have a way of doing it that I think is – like you said, very much different from what a lot of people are doing. And that's one of the reasons I started covering pro wrestling. I'm a lifelong fan and it just got to a point where a lot millions and millions of fans are being run off of wrestling and that still continues to happen. And I felt like I might have been on the precipice of that. And it was mostly because the pro wrestling media was also failing on that side too, to where with right. sports, you have all these bombastic characters who can help make sports fun, even when the games are boring. But with wrestling, I felt like there was a limited version of that. And to your point, uh, a lot of monotony in how people thought and viewed pro wrestling that I
1: just did not sign off on. That's yeah, that's great. Um, I I love you know that perspective of um, putting in the the Carlin aspect of. Um, he he was to me someone, and I don't know if you've if you had the chance to meet him. No, but I I was lucky enough a couple times to run into him and to chat just a little bit and the thing that i took away was that he emphasized the idea of if you're afraid to say it they've already won you know yes. because because that already censors you by your own fear of saying it so i think that taking that and applying that to a perspective of pro wrestling um it just it just feels like it's coming from an honest place and then meets a relatable audience but with that i'm going to turn it over to steve because we talk about a relatable audience <laughs> and
2: uh,
1: <laughs> uh steve is a huge aew guy um and as am um,
0: i you're in good company
1: but there, there's some stuff that I'm sure Steve wants to talk to you about. So. <laughs> please,
3: please. All right. So um, simply put, Alfred, um, I became aware of you even before this interview um, by some of your – how should we say this? Hot takes concerning sure. AEW. Um, it, you did mention that everything that you post is genuine. So I have to ask – some of the stuff that you post, do you post it out there just with the intent? I know that I'm going to rile these guys up. I know that I'm going to get some sort of a reaction out of these guys. Um, Because there are obviously, as Matt had mentioned, a lot of the stuff that you put out is extremely well thought out. Um, And there are some things that I can see where it's like, oh, well, obviously you, you state things extremely eloquently, but then I can see where maybe you're leading leading people along a little bit and just trying to get some sort of reaction out of those, you know, rabid AEW fans.
0: Well, if you're actively avoiding trying to get a reaction out of people, you really shouldn't be in broadcasting. It's the name of the game. And and I know it's easy to conflate, like clickbait with getting reaction with this, that there is like a version of I'm going to create this incendiary headliner thing just so people can click and there's no substance behind it. Like I not only put these clips out with what I felt just, and I always decide this after I've done the video, I'll rewatch it and I'll say, oh, that's just now it's not with the intention of getting rationed, but I'll see the things within that video that I know, oh, that's going to cause a discussion that let's see what, what this uh, narrative uh, does in terms of uh, the reaction or whatnot. And I'll put it with, in mind with that. And, uh, and I'll also have a link to the entire video. That's why I really don't care too much in terms of the Twitter reaction. And I know that could be this way or that way. I, I pay attention to the numbers and the engagement and the polarization of that. But I respond oh, yeah. to every single YouTube comment because I know they've more than likely watch the whole video. So I'm getting a lot more in context, whether it's pushback, whether it's compliments. I know it's more in context on my YouTube channel where people have actually watched the whole video. All that other stuff, yes, there's going to be reactions. There's, you know, we live in a very tribal world where people will find a reason to react to you even if you're not trying to get it. So I do not concern myself with trying to get reaction on who I'm going to piss off and who's going to react because that's going to cripple my own art.
3: Completely understand. Yeah. And, and, and that was honestly what I right along the lines of what I thought that you would say, um, just based on the context of, you know, your normal body of work. Um, yeah, I, I, I I didn't think that you just put stuff out there, you know, just to fuck with AEW fans or anything like
0: that. Um, so true, that, that is a perk that is a perk just like well, yeah, Smith i mean fucks it, with Cowboy fans. Uh, i love getting them riled up sometimes uh especially when no, i know that i have a true belief that i know is going to get them riled up it's like fuck them i'm not going to be scared of that exactly
3: and I, i'd be lying if i said that i didn't say some things on our show just to mess with the hardcore anti-aew fans like matt michaels anyway yeah um, it's just
2: mostly matt michaels at the end of the day let's be honest um, you
1: know, so but that's that's the thing. There's no real hardcore uh anti WWE fans. So you have to make it up because you know the product's so much better.
2: Right. Uh oh that's, that's
1: Steve, debatable.
0: There you go.
2: That's 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 debatable <laughs> on on different perspectives. We respect <laughs>
3: it. Unfortunately, this, we have okay, to hear go that ahead, perspective
2: Simon. every week. We have to hear that perspective every week. Um, the one question that I wanted to ask you, you spoke uh, you know a bit of how you 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 basically have this uh you know work work ethic of using synergy right finding the points of people of contention so that way you can just go zero right in create that controversy what would you say is the number one line that you see where the AEW fan is totally as matt was kind of saying you know with punning totally hates WWE to where you see that as a relatable piece to where were they either already falling out of love with WWE and that led them to AEW or was it a situation to where they just never watched any type of uh, WWE at all and they were just solely, let's say, watch New Japan, right? And then AEW popped up because there's some relevance between those companies, um, even in AEW's inception. Do you see that sometimes?
0: Yes. And uh, I think the majority, and I wouldn't say everybody, because to your point, there were people who were more of the New Japan era, maybe even people who watched WCW who just were done with wrestling when WCW went out of business. There is that old school zeitgeist that is a hardcore wrestling base, but I do think most people who watch AEW were disillusioned by WWE. There are people who felt like they were not being heard. They are the people of the Yes Movement. Uh, there are people who loved CM Punk, who in 2011 rallied and rode by him. Um, when he left W, when he did the, the contract thing originally, and then in 2014 when he left, I think that's a big makeup of the fan base in AEW. And those are the, some of the things that WWE did to really turn them off in terms of maybe they feel unheard. And now they have their own type of promotion where now it's funny because before I thought WWE used to not listen to their fans as much as maybe they should, you know, but I do think there should be a balance because now I think AEW listens to the fan too much and, and they're kind of overtaking that and turning it into this men's rally every single week. And uh, I think it's, they have some problems that they're facing of their own just by listening to the fans too much.
1: You know, let me ask you, you, you said CM Punk, what is your take um, on the idea that, Punk comes into AEW, and one of the things that he states is that he loves wrestling so much that, you know, he he found the right place to come out of retirement or whatever, you know, however you want to characterize it like that. But the question that I have is, here's a person saying, I love the fans, I love the wrestling, I love this, I love that, but I'm going to sit on my ass for seven years and not go to New Japan, not go to Impact, not go to Ring of Honor, because I love the sport so much that it takes a money mark owning a company to give me every fucking thing I want to me then going, oh, okay, I'm going to go back in front of the cameras. What's your take on that aspect of love of wrestling versus love of money in his case?
0: And that is a prominent opinion that is out there among the aew locker room and miro responded to something cm punk said earlier i think it was today where cm punk is talking about standing by your colleagues and together we're united and miro just put the laugh cry emoji like brother like you walked out by yourself and the only person who really benefited was you out of all this stuff and so it's a very complex situation with cm punk because on one hand i know that there's a love for professional wrestling that he had that i just think Broke him. I just think he was broken by wrestling and he didn't want anything to do with it. And that's part of it. But the optics of the situation of CM Punk leaving and then coming back where he can get a big payday, uh, the optics do show somebody that you can question fairly whether or not was he ever really about making a whole change for the whole locker room, which I do think that was in his heart. I do think that was in his heart. Uh, But also, I do think that there was a level of CM Punk that wanted to get paid, that wanted to make sure that he could set himself up for life. I think that's part of the reason he took the UFC deal. It's part of the reason he took the AEW deal, although I do think he's legitimately having fun. It's a very complex situation. I don't think that CM Punk is uh, kind of being this manipulative person, pulling the strings. And that's 100% of what it is, is money motivated. But I also do think that, you know, it's not all CM Punk is this magnanimous person who just wants everybody to get along. I think it's both.
3: Yeah, most definitely. And now, obviously, you know, we've talked about some negative things with pro wrestling. Um, I I think that it's pretty safe to say that right now we're in a pretty great period for professional wrestling and for professional wrestling fans. Um, What would you say, in your view, are some really bright spots in pro wrestling right now?
0: i think the empowerment of black women and i think this is something that's kind of gone under the radar we're seeing it right now with naomi and sasha banks and like i can't uh-huh. imagine a yep. world in wrestling that I, if sapphire would have pulled this they'd have locked the door <laughs> there's uh-huh. not one headline you're gone you're on the streets and nobody cares and it's not a controversy at all as much as i love sapphire i'm just saying the way yeah. that she and maybe a lot of black women are viewed in wrestling we're in an era now where its they're basically athletes. They're just like top pro athletes. We see this exact yep. same scenario play out. If you watch real sports, you've watched this whole drama with Kyler Murray, with Debo Samuel, one of the best receivers in the NFL, unfollowing the Niners, saying he's not showing up to training camp, and he that man's going to get paid. I'm a Green okay. Bay Packers fan for life. I'm a shareholder of the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers held out on the Green Bay Packers and he got paid big time, biggest paid player in history. Now Sasha Banks and Naomi are acting like that in pro wrestling. To me, that's empowerment. And I think that's something that makes me excited, especially seeing the rise of Jade Cargill in in a role where I think that she's doing a great job. She's kind of their Goldberg. Uh, The new faces and kind of new narratives in wrestling are what excites me.
2: Definitely. You know, let's kind of go with that, uh, you know, because you made a very good point and I am, of the same mind frame of that right now is a huge impact of not only just black women in wrestling, but also too um, being able to have more of an awareness of your worth and uh, and not just awareness of what you garner a company, whether it be merch sales, whether it means you know the pop from the fans, but also too being aware of the opportunity of when to pull that trigger. And especially what's going on right now with regards to Naomi and Sasha Banks, it's the perfect time because, you know, uh, these guys know um, I'm a huge fan of Sasha Banks. But I think that right now we're starting to see perfect timing on her because she was not too long ago just on the uh, the show with Kevin Hart. So her stock's already going through the roof anyways with where she can go next. And the WWE does kind of know they're in a bit of what we would call a pickle of how they want to do this because you know on one end they could freeze contracts or just not pay them not show them on TV but they know at the end of the day people want them and I think that's interesting because what would you say is your take with a lot of we know tons of people come over from AEW with almost some of the same uh, you know ideal of hey I want to go to a, a greener pasture to where my worth is is worth a little bit more and I could have more of an opportunity do you really feel that AEW um, is either, A, not capable of being able to uh, make that happen with a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, let's call them rehashes from WWE, or is it that where they are on their timeline as a company, as a promotion, just not able to do that, and they're doing everything they can to keep them there until they can make that happen?
0: Yeah, I would be very nervous. I think they're not fully able right now, and I think it's especially... a. a- Familiar with women, I think with women wrestlers, the AEW seems just a little behind. They're very good, and this is how the whole wrestling industry is, by the way. Very good at creating like these mean girl characters who know how to antagonize, mm-hmm. uh, but not very good at creating fully fleshed out human women who like people can relate to on everyday basis, who would remind you of a mom or a sister or anything. They've got Lacey Ellen Evans. They're trying to turn oh. all that with the, with the military background. They're trying to turn that into a mean girl's character. It's all they know how to do yeah. throughout this entire industry. And so that's going to be a problem. So, yes, I think uh, to answer your question, Simon, it's because they don't know how. And as Sasha Banks and Naomi, I look at this as what it means for a big picture. So for what this means for the modern day wrestling athlete, I think it's a good story if they go to AEW because I think they get paid. I think there will be a precedent start to be set that you can't mess with these wrestlers anymore because they signed the worst contract in all of sports where they're very disposable. And it's by that way, by design. Uh, and I think that if they leave to go to AEW, it's a great story for wrestlers and for the rights of wrestlers and for the advancement of wrestlers as a profession. I don't think it would be good for the careers, though, to be completely honest. No. I mean, Mercedes and AEW, you got a new name you got to work with, and you got this uh, promotion that does not know how to find any type of consistency with women. It's got... A very talented women's roster, but not a very talented women's division when you think of all the characters and storylines we're seeing. I mean, you got Thunder Rose and Serena Deeb, which is going to be a great wrestling match. It's a horrible storyline because they don't know how to write for women.
3: Exactly. So, so let
2: me ask you this one. Let me creep that one question. And my apologies, Mike Michaels. Would you say <laughs> that, you know, a lot of the woes of AEW, and let's even just paint this into the picture of what's currently going on right now with, with uh, WWE's creative. Do you feel that because there is a lack of women, real women dedicated behind the scenes and particularly into writing. Do you feel that that's what's kind of contributing to, uh, dare I say, this unrealistic narrative that we see in storylines?
0: Yes, that's one of the biggest contributing factors, but it's also the entire ecosystem. So it's from the top down, WWE is dominated by men, down to the 70-year-old man who every storyline has to go through. I think that's always going to result in a limited viewpoint. And it's only when you hear that the wrestler got to take control of their character, like the New Day, that's why they popped. Not because Vince McMahon overnight figured out Black culture. It's because they just said, please, Vince, just let us write these storylines. And he powered them to do that, and it worked. You know, Vince McMahon in his 50s knew he was too old to be try to creatively control what these guys are doing. Uh, and now he's gone back to doing that. And I think it hurts. And I think it also hurts in AEW where they really don't have a writing system. And uh, and they really do have to cater to a predominantly male fan base. And you see that because when they advertise women, whether it's AEW or WWE, the ratings go down. People are not tuning in. And it especially goes down with women. Go- the biggest drop when wrestling advertises women is with women because it's like, oh, great. They're going to try to speak for us. So we'll go do something else because you guys aren't really good at that. So, I think it's a whole ecosystem has a problem with that, and it needs to be fixed one step at a time.
1: Yeah, that was my follow up, uh, Simon, as well. Oh, Uh,
2: my apology. My apologies. No, no apology.
1: Ask the question. It's all good. Um, So, you know, uh, in that sense, too, um, you know, that brings up something I've never really thought about, which is the idea that for what, 30 years or so, Pat Patterson was essentially Vince's right-hand man. Um, I think that we can safely say that a lot of the best ideas came from Pat. Um, Wrestlers loved working with him. Uh, I think the product started the shift when Pat was becoming less involved. But what's really interesting is here you had a gay man who was booking the biggest wrestling company in the world he was agenting all these matches he was coming up with all these concepts and yet they couldn't find the right way to portray a gay athlete in their company for the longest time is that another thing that kind of you know falls into the problem of having ownership be um and i and i think this is where wwe is headed you had one person for the longest time they go public in 2000 and now the it's the money-based system that they're most you know attached to and, and making the shareholders happy at the same time what we're about to see is a structure set up in the wwe that will allow Vince to either step down if he's incapacitated or he passes away uh, for them to survive as a functioning company. Um, and then on the other side, we have AEW, who it's one man, billions of dollars in the family, but yet, because they're not publicly traded, we don't get to see what the books are on them, right? We've never heard. If they're making this much money, losing that much money, you have some idea of pay-per-view buys that come in and you can kind of gauge things. But we don't get a quarterly financial report like we do with WWE. Do you think that with the structure that's being put in place with Nick Khan, I think they looks like they just hired uh, someone who is a female who was a a really high up Disney executive, I believe, on the board. So you're already seeing kind of them set themselves to be potentially a very diversified company hiring, not, uh, you know, not going back to hiring people who have worked with the company, you know, for years and years and years because of Vince's comfortability with those people and bringing those people back. Could that actually kind of throw a monkey wrench into the idea of AEW being um more of a a freeform company where it's more commutative whereas here you're seeing already the nxt system is set up to create Mm -hmm. the athletes to be what they want to see for the future and the future is essentially getting those people to the point of the stardom of the rock and cena and batista Because they figured out at some point within the last five to ten years that the marketability of the company almost relies on the wrestlers now going from in-ring to the entertainment industry. and Because that leaves a beautiful trail for when you... Are a kid, and you're like, Well, who's this John Cena guy that I just saw in this movie? He did what? You know, and you're seven years old, and now you can see all this John Cena stuff. You can go to Peacock, you can watch the whole library. Now you got a fan for life. Whereas ADW, it's it's gonna be very kind of chaotic still, where they're trying to potentially get a system in place, but it looks like it's just gonna stay within the boss and what he says, and that's it. Which ironically will flip it to where the WWE is a system in which you go, you train. It's, a, it's a, almost a, a guaranteed money-making system for you to be an athlete, to be recognized, and to potentially go on. Where everyone complained that Vince controlled everything and didn't do this and didn't do that. And now you're going to have that in Tony Khan being a family-owned business. It just seems like that whole diversity, that whole structure seems to be coming into place for the WWE, and yet AEW is going to be a little behind because there's no actual structure
0: other than, hey, Tony, could we do this? Right, they're going to be a lot behind, like you know, 70 years behind to, to be exact. And it's ironic because that's where AEW eventually wants to go. I, uh, there's going to be a lot of AEW hardcores who think that this company's for you and then that they're always going to only be serving you. No, eventually, they want to be more like WWE when they have a board of shareholders, when they can make the type of money WWE's making, where they can get billion dollar TV deals. But in doing so, they're probably going to have to go public and that's going to rob them of their creative juices because WWE's. Business model. You talk about diversifying and whatnot, adding different board members. That's been perfect for WWE. They got this guy Nick Khan, who they uh, weren't able to get access to probably in the past, but he's this Hollywood agent who's coming to WWE. Somebody who, who they've never had anybody like Nick Khan before, and all it's led is to billions and billions of dollars. So WWE has this factory to make money, and that's why they make their wrestlers uh, disposable, so that they can promote the brand of other wrestlers, so that WrestleMania can sell out without anybody being advertised. So WWE's done this. Great Great job with their business model. But creatively, you can argue it's not as good. And it's really not its as bad as it's been when you know how good WB can be creatively. With AEW, I think because they don't have those reins of, of, of being like that type of publicly traded company, they creatively helps them. To where they're able to establish more wrestlers who seem like individuals, uh, where the wrestlers have a little bit more agencies in the storyline, in the, in the output. Uh, so it's just that philosophical battle. Everybody's making all the money in the world, but I do think it hurts it creatively to be so business-minded and have everybody be the same. Whereas AEW, they're not making all the money in the world, but I think creatively, they're able to take more risks.
2: So let me ask you this question, kind of you know, touching base on what you said a little bit earlier with regards to you know, WWE kind of making this transformative, you know, uh, business structure, will we say, right? So with that in mind, and let's be honest, okay, we've all looked at this, known that WWE is looking to not focus on a pool from indies, okay? So, So it's going to be all created in-house. Do you think that to a certain extent, that that is a gain for WWE I'm sorry for AEW in the long run if the opportunity for them to start having their own cultivation system to where, you know, even though we have starting to see it, see it now with some of their younger talent that they promised us would be elevated, are now slowly getting elevated. Do you think that AEW and their business structure, if they can evolve or, or on a regular timeline or even faster to get this influx of people? Because I can, in, as my p- opinion, once this machine, a, uh, WWE starts cranking out, getting all of the college students, actors, you know, uh, people who are in professional sports, you're going to start seeing a lot of traditional indie wrestlers going to AEW or other promotions as an option. But for AEW, do you think that they'll be able to handle that?
0: Uh, I think, I hope they'll be able to handle that. I think it's a great advantage for them. If WWE, the competition, is going to uh, say, we don't want these indie guys, that should be music to AEW's ears because they're going to thrive on being different from WWE. That's why they got as far as they did. It's because there were enough people who wanted something different. And all the people out there in the indies who are different from what you'd see in the WWE are now pretty much exclusive to AEW in terms of farming them and and getting them in there. I do think it's been overblown that WWE's anti-indies. They don't want anybody from the indies. Like, Roxy is from the Indies, and you can already see she's getting a push. I do think there are exceptions that they will take in from the Indies, but I think that they are going to have something in their mind that they think is a star. I don't think it's that big of a deal that they don't have any people. I think they're they're using the Indies for the for the wrong aspect. I think there's a way to use the Indies without having to incorporate the actual wrestlers. What they should be doing with these, whether it's a model or actor that they want to make into a wrestler, they should be sending them off to the Indies. Like, New Japan does excursions with their young lions. That's why they just make all these great mm-hmm. Hall of Fame caliber technical wrestlers. It's because they have a system where they have to go around the country. They're not going to AEW, bringing in their guys. or are saying, go learn something from AEW. Go learn something from uh, ML. W go learn something from ROH, come back here and then that's going to be incorporated in our product to make it look better. That's how WWE should do it. Screw all these indie guys who everybody's, you know, playing the victim like they're going to be fine. I think the philosophy of WWE should be let's kind of take a little something from all the indies to diversify our product and we'll do it with people who we see as stars.
3: Well said. Most definitely. And so obviously uh just kind of changing gears just a little bit Uh, You had mentioned at the beginning of the interview that you were a a stand-up comedian. Uh, How long have you been doing stand-up? What got you into it? Uh, Let us know a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, I've been doing stand-up for about six years now. And uh, I, I used to work at Bleach Report, covering wrestling for Bleach Report. And I had like a web series called WWWTF. And it was just basically like Weekend Update for Wrestling where I would just take the craziest wrestling headlines, and there's always crazy headlines, so that's good. Uh, So in this business, I just take all these funniest wrestling headlines I saw, and I would just kind of make a joke about them. Uh, And early on, I didn't know how to make a joke. I I just kind of was rambling and and ranting, and it was no head to tail of it. So when they come out, I'd I'd be like, these are horrible. Like, I'm not funny. I'm just kind of rambling. Like, anything that was funny, I would just kind of stumble upon it. So I just figured, like, there's got to be a way to actually write a joke consistently there's got to be a, a format behind this and and i was pleased to know there was and as soon as i learned about the joke writing process i became obsessed with it and i i just uh, then it turned into i'm going to write like 50 jokes for this week's show and i'll use the best five and i just really fell in love with that process and when i stopped doing that i would just still write jokes every day because i just like that and then that turned into i'll just start performing these and seeing how that works and then it just kind of built from there
3: that's dope
1: awesome um when you look at um and, and I think that this is a perspective that I feel is very much so. Uh, we we're just talking about the indies. We're just talking about stand-up. Can you see what I see between the, you know, the parallels of being a stand-up comic and being an in- independent wrestler?
0: hundred percent being a pro wrestler it's the club like comedians don't like people comparing because what comedians do is so much different and so much harder than what anybody else in entertainment does but pro wrestling you could argue is harder because not only do they have to have those live chops in order to contain a live audience and keep them engaged they also have to put their bodies on the line like for a lot of, I know a lot of comedians who are who are wrestling fans and even wanted to be wrestlers but it's like I'm not gonna put my body through that. So a lot of comedians are just, uh, uh, you know, failed wrestlers who just wanted to do promos instead of taking the bumps. Uh, And so, like, I have nothing but respect for pro wrestlers because of that. And I do think that's why we saw, like, the late, great Roddy Roddy Piper toward the end of his life was doing stand-up. He's a paid regular at the Comedy Store. Bret Hart does stand-up. Mick Foley does stand-up. RVD. They're very, very closely related, those two arts of having to cut a promo and maintain an audience's attention. That's all stand-up really is.
1: And now, uh, after uh, Will Smith's assault on Chris Rock, um, I think that stand-up comics are going to uh, potentially be uh, professional wrestlers because of the fact that at any point, Shit, not
2: can- even not even just that, Dave Chappelle uh, getting tackled yeah. by some crazy dude with with, with I, from what I hear leaves in his hair. He just came straight off the street, got front row. I need to know what he's doing because I bought a Dave Chappelle. Uh, a ticket one time and man I had spent too much money and was broke afterwards.
0: <laughs> and he's got a nice sprawl too. Dave Chappelle handled that well. He didn't he didn't get taken out by that guy. No,
2: he didn't. <laughs> he he had half of the roster of Def Jam a uh, video game back in the day whoop <laughs> that guy's ass in the backstage. I had that video game. It was awesome.
3: <laughs> Classic. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Go ahead, Steve. Um so obviously uh, got to ask, I have to ask. We talked about, about Twitter. Your Twitter handle is uh, this is nasty. Yes, sir. We got, we got to talk. <laughs> what, what was the inspiration for that? How'd you come up with that?
0: Well, so, so my genesis of covering pro wrestling, even sports, I just started a blog And uh, I just decided I was going to start a sports blog. And the name of the sports blog was BigNasty.com because this is during my college years. I played rugby. Rugby is very much like a frat where everybody gets their own nicknames. And mine, that kind of stuff was Big Nasty because I would run it. We had this Australian coach who was just, you know, hard to tackle me. I got some big quads. and, And he'd say, look at the Big Nasty man. Oh, it's taking everybody. But he'd do that to really fire the team up so that, you know, one person could tackle me. Uh, and so I just kind of ran with the big nasty moniker and decided to apply that at the time to my website, to my Twitter handle and whatnot. And, and I just keep it around. I still like it. I'm always going to be nasty. City. You know,
1: just, add, just I, I didn't think of this until Steve brought that question up and you, you gave that answer of big nasty. Now, you might be a little young. Uh, and did you where did you grow up? Chico,
0: California, Northern California. Chico
1: sure so down in southern california in uh the late 90s early 2000s there was a sports talk radio host who his moniker was the big nasty mm. and ironically enough he was the only one in socal who was uh at the forefront of bringing on pro wrestlers onto the show and give them exposure and he passed away a number of years ago so It's really interesting that without knowing it, you're continuing something that brought this man joy to bring, you know, attention to pro wrestling, which is something that he loved. Does it ever occur to you that in what you're doing now, just like almost, you know, any performer, that you hope that it engages uh, not, not fans as much as, younger people who are hungry who want to perform who want to maybe have their uh, opinions heard on different topics whether it be sports or movies or music or wrestling do you ever see yourself as you know essentially an influencer but an influencer in the best way as opposed to the bullshit that's out there of hey i look hot in a pair of pants i'm an influencer
0: (laughs) Well, I too look hot in a pair of pants, but I don't really consider myself uh, like that much of an... In- it's a funny you ask that because I don't spend too much time thinking about that. But if I do get feedback on that whether it's somebody DMing me or I meet somebody out in like conventions or whatnot, that does mean a lot to me where they where say, Hey man, I watch you on Bleach Report and it made me think what, what means the most is when I see like, like black people who say that I'd never seen a black person talk about wrestling as much as you do, or, or to the degree or bring up the things that you do. That means the most to me because then it'll inspire them to do the same. And I just think it'll be better to have, and you know, I'm not trying to control how people think, but I want as many different thoughts out there because I think that's part of the problem today with social media is that there are a limited amount of views you can have and if you don't conform to that then you know you can get attacked or whatnot I think less people should be afraid of that that's the only way I'd want to influence people is to you know to just influence them to challenge the conventional narrative and just kind of get their opinion out there even if it's not a popular opinion I, I but I do like that aspect of it I don't think about it a lot but I do like it it means a lot to me when people bring it up
3: that's awesome. Yeah. And, and I, I completely agree. I think that, you know, diversity is something that's been kind of brought to the forefront here recently. But I think that something that hasn't really been brought to the forefront is diversity of thought and actually appreciating different viewpoints, different opinions, and realizing that there is enough space out there for everyone to thrive and, you know, for, for everyone's voice to be heard. So that's that's amazing that you that you put that out there thank you
0: for that yeah that's what I love about comedy stand-up comedy will force you to to like because you're spending most of your time with other comics and they're from all different backgrounds man I have funny friends who are Republicans or I mean hardcore Republicans or even radical liberals and whatnot and this is another thing that was said in the George Carlin documentary that I love that I always believe that I love individuals like you guys are all great I think that I believe in mankind, the humankind, but when people get into groups and have to start subscribing to certain views, that's when it gets off the beaten path. But individuals mostly are very logical, very rational in how they individually think. It's just that when they start subscribing to group think, that's where the problem lies.
2: Well, nobody wants to be a lemming, but it seems like everybody's signing up for that gig.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a popular gig. But you the bridge know the- is
2: sold out. You ain't lying. You ain't lying. You you know, one question that I've got to ask you is, you know, what do you see for, you know, not only for yourself, but into your contributions toward, um, you know, sports entertainment, pro wrestling? Do you see yourself in the next five years?
0: Um, That's a great question. I... I- I see myself continuing because I've always grown in what I'm doing. I've, I've never really felt like I've stayed at the same place or done the same thing. I feel like every couple of years in my journey of covering pro wrestler pro wrestling, it changes. And now it's like, I always used to thumb my nose at these YouTubers and influencers, quote unquote, but I'm really seeing the value of it and how it can grow your audience and, and how it can make you engage with people who want to talk about the things that you do. Not necessarily, when I say my audience, I don't mean all the people who believe what I believe. Anybody who wants to engage with me, whether they, there are people who come back like every week to disagree with what I've said. I love stuff like that, you know, because it will show you based on something you're passionate about the whole breadth of what people believe and it'll enhance your own opinion about it and so i see myself continuing to, to you know write and to also this next chapter is developing this uh, a following on youtube uh, through pro wrestling bits i think it's a very vital space to where you are empowered as a creator to say what you want you're not really under a corporate umbrella and i want to just try to to work with, for myself under those guises and grow this audience as big as possible so that i can cover wrestling on my own terms
3: without a doubt that's awesome um and and let's talk about something else that you know, you've been linked to, and that is Forbes. Now, when the average layperson hears the name Forbes, they don't think of sports or pro wrestling or anything of that nature. Um, how did your, um, your working relationship with Forbes come about? What kinds of things do you do for them? And, uh, you know, talk, talk a little bit about that situation, please
0: yeah well i used to write for bleach report as i said in my editor at the time because you know pro wrestling is such a unique genre and not everybody gets it not everybody likes it not everybody respects it the way it should be uh, respected in terms of mainstream culture and so my editor was one of those people who really got it and really loved it uh, and when she went to forbes to kind of put in place what bleacher report had established and do a sports type channel they realized the value in pro wrestling. I mean, Bleach Report, we were the wrestling channel was easily the most popular channel on Bleach Report. You know, because they, 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 NFL is so scattered and they would go to their teams, but the NFL channel in general wasn't very big. But wrestling, you come to the WWE channel because it's so underserved and they would get all this information. And so Forbes wanted to establish that and they brought in Bailey, who, who was the editor at the time. And I just went with her because I trusted her. I didn't want somebody to come in and not care about pro wrestling and not. Uh, like it. And there was an overlap where I was doing both, but I really wanted to kind of focus on one thing. And, uh, and, you know, I just trusted the editor who's in place. And so, you know, it's just one of those things that happened. It's not that they went looking for me, but I I went to with this editor who had recommended me and it's been a great relationship. Awesome. Um,
1: As we uh, start to wrap up, Simon, do you have uh, a final question?
2: Uh, Yes, I do have one final question. So, you know, we kind of skated around it a little bit in the beginning of this interview. And I've got to ask, because like I said before, I am a uh, Sasha Banks fan, right? Do you think, just in your own opinions, that this will end positively or will it end negatively for anybody who's a Sasha Banks fan via WWE?
0: Mm, Very interesting. Uh, Whether or not it... There is a universe where this could end negatively for Sasha Banks and her supporters, but then later on positively for other people down the line. It's kind of like the Kurt Flood situation, where if you're familiar with that, There was once upon a time everybody talking about these contracts and professionalism where it was illegal to be traded. You go to St. Louis, you stay in St. Louis your whole career. Uh, Kurt Flood said, man, I don't want to be here my whole career. And he essentially wanted to be traded. And he was blackballed from baseball. And, And it's kind of the same thing we're seeing with Colin Kaepernick in a lot of ways to where the first person who kind of sets this wave or one of the first people get demonized, but it helps people down the line. For Sasha Banks, because I think she has a leverage, because I think we're in a new world, because more wrestlers have more leverage with AEW around, I do think it ends positively, especially because I think she has that thing that's going to transcend. I do think Sasha Banks is going to be one of these John Cena, uh, Batista prototypes to break over to Hollywood and really be a big star. And that paired with her stock as a wrestler, I think are both going to go up. So because it's Sasha Banks doing this and Naomi, and they're kind of doing this as a united front, I think that's the big wrinkle in the storyline. And I do think it's going to end positively for them.
1: Um, Final question. And, uh, you know, you were talking about being an African-American stand-up comedian, someone who talks about wrestling. And uh, not many people in the community of African-Americans have seen uh, other African-Americans talk wrestling and do stand-up and that kind of stuff. But there is one. So, the Vegas Bad Boys have never promoted anything before as a wrestling event. And uh, I would love to see the Big Nasty versus Ron Funches. Oh, oh man. man. I think that would be absolutely wonderful. In fact, you know, don't have to necessarily wrestle each other, but – uh, it'd be fun to uh, to have Funches uh, have his guy, you have your guy, and uh,
0: you know maybe we could make some magic happen in las vegas i owe Funches a couple of receipts because i get confused for him <laughs> <laughs> ever since he lost all that weight ever since he lost all that weight now i'm ron Funches too so uh yeah i i can uh, he, i owe him a couple of receipts i'd love to get in the ring with ron Funches. i'm a very big fan of his comedy i love he does have a wrestling bit that i just love about the undertaker and and that really speaks to me as a wrestling fan she speaks to all you in terms of people who get told that wrestling's fake so and i've interviewed him before actually for forbes uh, and he did a great job but hey man you name the time the date and the place he wants to get in there with the big nasty i'll show him what the big nasty really is
1: (laughs) oh Oh, i just love that it's just like yeah people now confuse me with him, and it's like (laughs) that goes to show the how small of a niche that really is because the the niche in that is i mean it's you two guys who else i you know who else so uh, yeah that would be really a, a fun time and you know, uh, we're starting to get that little promoting bug going on. So it's like, eh,
0: you know,
2: I could definitely to... see it now. Like, it, 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 you know, the stipulation is say my name match. So whoever wins, the other person has to say my name. loud. So that way, let it be known you are who you are to the world
0: that it seemed that that's great booking right there so this is the type of booking that they need in pro wrestling right
2: <laughs> well we're no, still we'll- we're still waiting for an invitation to the performance center but I, i've been banned from tampa so i don't think i'll be able to <laughs> oh, know i'll get you back <laughs> in there
1: i think I we have a perfect storyline i think i think that you know uh it's amazing how ron has stole all your material as you were an up-and-coming stand-up comic and i think it's time for revenge and uh now's the time to to get it on him so
0: uh yeah my material my look he's just trying to be like me and i want to put a stop to that so let's put this together
1: (laughs) uh uh you know it's it's been a blast uh chatting with you i know you have to kind of get going and so do we but um for anyone who is watching or listening who might not uh, know your uh, social media handles. Where can they follow you? And again, let them know uh, where they can uh, see your stuff and listen to you as well.
0: Yeah, as Steve uh, pointed out earlier, it is at This Is Nasty on Twitter. You can uh, follow me or subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pro Wrestling Bits. And then I'm on twice a week for the Wrestling Inc. podcast doing the NXT post show and the SmackDown and Rampage post shows. We have a lot of fun there with Glenn and Issa. And check out the whole Wrestling Inc. family. You know, just like this podcast, a bunch of passionate wrestling people. There's a lot of passionate wrestling people also at Wrestling Inc. So it was just a pleasure being here. We got to do this again, you guys. I, I really like talking to you. And I think uh, as more storylines come about in pro wrestling, I want to hear what your guys' reactions are. Definitely yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Same here.
1: Yeah. Without a doubt. Very, very, very appreciative. Uh, Everybody, thanks for tuning in and supporting us. And uh, until next time, we'll see you guys then.
0: Biggest Bad Boys of Podcasting.